whenever I first meet a patient, I go through a huge list of questions to get to know them and to find out what is going to make them comfortable going forward. And a lot of patients have never really been asked, like, well, what makes you comfortable in the dental office? Like, what can I do to make you more comfortable? Just always approaching every patient kind of like as a puzzle. Everyone's so different and they have different needs and wants and come from different backgrounds and just really taking the whole person instead of just, you know, what's going on in their mouth. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 202 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyotsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And so that is why I am just delighted to introduce you to our guest, Alexis Tomaszewski. Did I get it right? It was perfect. Yes. <laughs> I, I practiced a couple times, but you know, you know. I'm so impressed. <laughs> Alexis knew that she wanted to be a dentist at the age of 12. At 14, she began shadowing a local dentist in the summer and fell in love with the profession. In 2017, she graduated from Edgewood College with a degree in biology and a minor in chemistry. Ew. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> she began dental school at Marquette University in 2018 and was diagnosed with ADHD after she failed her first semester. Alexis returned to the, in the fall of 2019, and she's now finishing her final year of dental school. Alexis currently lives with her fiance and two dogs in Waukesha. Waukesha, how do you say that? It's Waukesha. Oh, I really butchered it. Waukesha, Wisconsin. Alexis is a born entrepreneur. In 2018, she started an online resale clothing store 
And then in 2021, Alexis and her fiance wrote a children's book about dentistry and ADHD. Her next goal is to open a dental practice that is ADHD friendly. So Alexis, other than all the mispronunciations, did I get that right? You sure did. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So before we talk about anything else, let's start with your ADHD diagnoses. What happened? All right. So in between undergrad and when I started dental school, I had a gap year. And then I started again in or the, initially in 2018 in the fall. And I had really high expectations for what that would look like since I knew I'd want to be a dentist for so long. So you, can I ask you, Alexis, had you done really well in school prior to this? I say yes. Overall, yes. Well but there enough were to get signs. into dental school, right? Yeah. So you must yeah. have been a good student. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's okay. So I didn't do well in my first set of exams in dental school. And I should also mention that I went from taking about 16 or 17 credits in undergrad to 23 the first fall semester. So um, it was a lot different than what I was used to. So when I, I was really upset when I got those grades back and I immediately went to the professors and tried to get help. And, you know, we did our best. We, I was pretty optimistic at that point. We had talked about different strategies I could try and I was really excited. So we had exams almost every week <laughs> that first semester, very few breaks in between. And I continued to really see little to no improvement. So I started to wonder if something was wrong with me, honestly. And I started Googling my symptoms on the internet and I realized that I might have ADHD, so I need to see someone. And I, of course, didn't want to wait, um, typical ADHD fashion. So I reached out to a psychiatrist directly who specializes in adult ADHD, was able to get in with him sooner than seeing my primary about this. And it was very clear that I did have ADHD and I've been going undiagnosed for a very long time. I tested in the first percentile for attention and distraction. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, so love that. Uh, But it was validating and it was nice to know what it was. However, it was at that point a little too late in the semester and I ended up failing a course and having what we, I guess, call an incomplete grade, another course, which put me in a position where they could either dismiss me from the dental school or allow me to repeat that semester the following fall. And that's what I chose to do. And they were very understanding just because they knew the circumstances surrounding it. Okay, hold on one second, Alexis. So you said that um, you had tested in the what? Like, what were your first, tests? First percentile for like, attention and distraction. <laughs> okay, that was for the ADHD. And I misspoke. I am 1% for hyperactivity. Like I'm in the top uh, 99 okay. percentile. So, but then yes. you mentioned that at the dental school, at the end of that first semester, where did you end up? So yeah, that's where I, I had performed the worst I had ever done in school, basically at that point. And overall, I was able to pass my courses, except for two. There was one that I, I failed the course. It was um, neurocranial anatomy. <laughs> Mm. And uh, then the other one was a course where I had failed the exam portion of the course, but not the hand skills portion of the course. So that was considered an incomplete grade where I could fix that one part, but there was nothing I could do about the failed grade. So yeah, that's kind of where I was at. And so your school, it sounds like they were pretty good about working with you. 
Yeah, and I was really honest with them throughout the whole experience. I had been talking to all the professors in the courses I was struggling in, and I was meeting with the academic dean and also some other, I guess they were like student services type of people on campus. I was really open about it the whole time that I knew I was struggling. I didn't know what it was, but I was going to figure it out. However, on the hand portion, right, where you're, and can you can you explain the difference between, okay, there's the book part, but then in your first year of dental school, you also have like the lab part, right, where you're using yeah. your hands. And that exactly. part you were really good at. I was. I was naturally good at that. That was really, so that was nice. I knew that I was good at that. I just really had a tough time taking the actual exams. I hadn't really taken multiple ch- tests, multiple choice tests back in undergrad that much because of the school that I went to. It wasn't really set up that way. We took more like short answer, written type of exams. So I think like the big change from one to the other was really hard for me to adjust to. Okay. So as far as I'm concerned, and tell me if I'm wrong, it would seem to me that the hands-on part of dentistry is probably the most important part of dentistry, and it would be indicative of how good of a dentist you would be rather than the book stuff. Yes, I, I mean, I would think so, yes. That, that's sure. just insanity to me. You know, my, my, my sister had a similar experience in dental school that you had, but for her, it was the hands-on experience. You know, that's what, and it was I think it was anxiety. You know, it was more about it- people watching her work and watching yeah. her hands versus the book part, no problem at all. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is you can teach those hand skills, though. Yeah, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. So, um, okay, so you were diagnosed with ADHD. Were you relieved? Yes, I was so relieved. I was like, thank goodness this makes so much sense. And looking back on everything in my life up until that point, it was honestly shocking that nobody noticed it sooner. Okay, tell us why. (laughs) So my mom tells a story of one of the things that I did as a kid when I was asking her questions about, well, how do you think I acted? What do you think it was that made you think, oh yeah, this makes sense now that you have ADHD. And she said, well, there was this time we took you to be tested. I don't know if it was for kindergarten or preschool. It was to start early. And I was sitting across the table from this woman and she asked me to draw a picture. So I drew a picture, but I drew it upside down so she could see it across the table. And the woman said that I didn't follow directions properly. And that was a pretty good, I feel like, explanation of how my brain thinks in every aspect of life. That That is ridiculous. Yeah. My mom thought. Do that has got to be, I'm sorry, brighter and, you know, second, (laughs) third level thinker. That's what my mom was trying to tell the woman, but she didn't, she didn't fall for it. <laughs> oh, I'm just thinking of this kind of testing. Um, okay. Um, was there anything else? Yes. I also was hyperactive, like extremely. I know my stepmom has told stories of I would come home from school and I would literally bounce. Um, <laughs> like I would just continue bouncing. And I would tell her a story. I would just info dump on her my whole day. And um, it would make me be like an hour long. And I would speak a million miles per hour. And she... <laughs> She was so nice and put up with it. She didn't mind at all, but she just thinks that she thinks of it as a funny time when she would remember me doing that every single time I'd come home from school. Um, How'd you do in school? I did really well in school. I think um, besides the fact that I was very talkative and disruptive, um, I would always listen if they they corrected me in any way. Uh, I did well. Yeah, I did well. I didn't really have any. The first time I remember ever struggling was in my AP biology course my senior year. And up until that point, I had really not encountered anything to note. 
So as far as school goes, were you the kind of kid that got, you know, really good grades, but then under, I don't know what they call it, conduct or whatever, it was like, well, if she could stop interrupting her neighbor. <laughs> yes, that was my, all my report cards basically said, like, talks too much can be disruptive, but like is a really good student, basically. Yeah. And I actually had one really kind of traumatic experience in an art class in middle school where I spent way too much time on an art project that really, it probably wasn't really necessary, but I really wanted to get it right. And I would come in before and after school. And I remember the art teacher told me, she's like, if you pay this much attention and detail to everything in life, you're never going to amount to anything. And it that really hurt me as a middle schooler. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to be an artist. Although I think dentistry is artistry, right? I mean, you're yes, your hands. And I mean, I don't know it what it is. You know, my dad's, well, he doesn't practice anymore. But my dad was a dentist or he is a yes, dentist. Yes, I know? remember that. Yes. And I think there is, he's very creative, so creative. Yeah. And is it still the same way where, is it all like molds and stuff or? Is no, it like absolutely. Molds? It's definitely, you have to be creative, especially with like aesthetic dentistry. If you want your teeth, you know, it's your front teeth. Yeah. I mean, it's very difficult to make them look the way that they do naturally. And patients really care about that. So absolutely. Totally. Okay. So what about social situations? Any issues there? Um, I was always kind of the kid that was friends with multiple groups of kids because I never really felt like I felt in, fit into a specific group. Mm -hmm. And I know like kids tend to do that, obviously. So that was always kind of hard for me because I I'd always felt different than the other kids, for sure. Do you have any instances that you can remember where you were like, ah, I, I don't know why I don't feel like the other kids? Um, I, I don't know if it's like one moment in particular, it's just kind of like over time, I just noticed that I felt like my interests were just different than kids. Like I, I kind of got along with adults better than I did kids for the most part. I was, I was always able to socialize fine with them and, but it was really masking and I just got very good at it. Um, I never really, yeah, I can't think of a specific instance, but I, I've always just been friends with, you know, like kind of like Maybe it was like a nerdier group of kids and then more popular kids and then sporty kids. I didn't mm. care. And I think that's why some I did have trouble with some of the kids I interacted with because they didn't really understand why I wouldn't just stick to one group. Ah, uh, I could see that. Were you yeah. an only child? Kind of. Uh. Um, I have huge age gaps with my siblings. So I have a half brother who is 14 years older than me. And then I also have two half sisters that are 14 and 12 years younger than me. But I always kind of felt like an only child just because I never had a close age yeah. sibling. Yeah. So anyone else in your family diagnosed? Yes. Um, I did check, by the way, and it was okay to say this. So you can take <laughs> that part out. But um, my, uh, so yeah, both of my parents are diagnosed with ADHD, just newly diagnosed actually. And my fiance has ADHD and my brother and sisters and stepmom actually have it as well. So I don't really know life without it at this point. Yeah. I guess like attracts like, right? In most of those yes. instances. Yes. Um, so once you knew it was ADHD, you're in dental school. I think you basically said you flunked out that first semester as far as mm -hmm. you were concerned, certainly by your standards. So once you were diagnosed with ADHD, what changed? Um, well, I hoped that everything would change in the sense that I would start medication and everything would be fixed. But I was 
very wrong about that. <laughs> so uh, the medication did work for me and my grades went up about, I would say like 20%. <laughs> Um, on average, because of the medication. However, that wasn't sustainable just because pills don't teach skills, as they say. So I really had a lot of learning to do. And because I had to take that time off in between, I used that time to really figure myself out. And that's actually kind of when I discovered your podcast in the first place, just really looking for answers as to, well, what can I do in this in the meantime while I'm working and everything? So when I go back, I don't have the same problems I started with. So what did you do? Well, one of the things is I signed up for your course, your ADHD brain is A-OK. And oh, that's it right. really, I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. So that was really helpful because I just, I really needed some direction. I was just looking for what my strengths were and I didn't really know what they were, honestly. Um, so it was helpful to kind of figure out some of those values and what was important to me. And that's kind of how I actually discovered, okay, so what is my purpose? Because that's always kind of been what's been helping me go forward, I think up until the point where it didn't work anymore is I'd always had a next step to look forward to and had the positive emotion associated with it. So when I finally found my purpose again, which was to open a dental practice that they do issue friendly, well, then I had a lot more positive emotions going back in, even though I did struggle with the other things like imposter syndrome. So were you thinking about maybe not going back to uh, dental school? Um, at first, a little bit, I kind of thought about it just for a brief period of time because I, I felt like such a failure. I mm. really never experienced that type of failure before and it was a big learning experience. But after I kind of discovered what my purpose was, it was clear that no, this was the path for me and I did have the hand skills and I was confident that once I got into clinic and I was spending more time with the patients that like that would be where I would truly shine and I was really correct about that. That's so awesome. So you were able to get the clarity around your intention, like why you were doing what you were doing. And that gave you basically the kick to go back and just keep sight of that purpose, even when exactly. things got hard. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting how that works. Okay. So, and I'm so happy that AOK helped you get there. That that makes me feel really good. And I remember you now, Alexis. <laughs> I remember what was going on with you. So I wrote down imposter syndrome because you just kind of threw imposter syndrome out and then went on to the next thing. Talk to me about that. <laughs> what was going on there? Yeah, I think going back, I I really struggled with that. So I felt I felt like because I had failed that I was it was always going to be they were going to be looking for ways for me to fail going back in because I was basically on probation. That was like one of the conditions about me going back. I'd be on probation for that full year. And that was really a tough thing for me to deal with. I felt I also had to, you know, I was really open about my experience with my, the class I was in previously because I knew I would be going back to them and seeing them at school. And then I was also open about it with my incoming class. I didn't give them all the details, but I did say, you know, I am repeating the year. So if you have any questions, let me know. Like, I kind of know what's going on around here. And I think that helped a little bit just so I didn't want anyone making up rumors or whatever about why I was there or why I had to repeat the year. So I struggled with that. And then just trying to figure out you know, how am I going to do this and not make the same mistake again? Because I did decide to come back and I decided this is what I want to do. So now I really can't let myself fail. So I think it just was always working against me. And I've, you know, I've gotten a lot better with it, but it took a while for me to get there. 
So your imposter syndrome was around, I don't really belong here. Yeah, I just felt like I got in here by mistake. Like they don't, I shouldn't be here. These other kids are smarter than me. Mm. Um, you know, their they, parents are dentists. They have family members that are maybe, and they were just that way ahead of me in terms of um, hand skills. And it's a whole new language to learn. And I felt like I really struggled with that. So that was kind of the main things. So how do you feel about that now? Now I feel a lot better about it. And I had a couple of people tell me that things would change when we got to clinic. And like I had mentioned before, and it was really interesting to see that transition. So a lot of the kids that really did well academically, they started struggling when they had to interact with real people <laughs> and have, and they couldn't control every scenario. So I love that kind of situation because that's where I thrive. So for me, that was when I started, the imposter syndrome started to go away was I was more and more confident about this is the right path for me. I'm connecting with my patients. They keep coming back to me. They're not canceling on me as much as some of my classmates. And it was just kind of nice to see that. So you were actually practicing your strengths. Yes. Yes. Are you so proud of yourself? Uh, I struggle. Yes. <laughs> but I think I still that imposter syndrome in the back of my head is thinking, you know, I'm still not done yet. So I still worry that something will happen and I won't make it to the end. And so I think until that final moment comes, it'll always kind of be there. But I am proud of what I've accomplished so far. Yes. And how much time do you have left? Do you graduate in May? Um, Probably around May, uh, depending on when I finish all my requirements or either May or by the end of the summer. So Alexis, what could possibly happen at this point? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it was a lot of Roblox. <laughs> Alexis, did I hear something about RSD or did I read that somewhere? And, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so talk to me about that. I think um, I, what I ended up really hating was whenever I'd have to, I'd fail an exam or something and I'd have to go meet with my professors. And then some of them were so nice about it and so helpful, but some of them just didn't understand. And <laughs> they would make me feel so bad about myself. So I feel like that's where the, that I would just avoid those interactions and put those off. So I think like that's where a lot of that rejection sensitivity dysphoria came into play. It wasn't quite as bad until that stuff started happening. And I was kind of like afraid to approach certain people just because I kept struggling a little bit along the way, even when I went back. So that was hard. Okay, so just in case um, some of our listeners don't know what RSD or rejection-sensitive dysphoria is, it's unique to ADHD, and it's that the person experiences extreme emotional sensitivity and pain triggered by the perception, real or imagined, of being rejected, teased, criticized, a disappointment to important people in their lives, or a disappointment in themselves when they fail to attain, you know, their their own high standards or goals, just like what Alexis is talking about right here. Now, I'd like to know, so what do you do to deal with your RSD? What works for you? So I think like one of the biggest things was just um, honestly, just kind of doing things, even though you're afraid, because yeah. I just know that, you know, once the worst thing that could happen is, yeah, they reject me, but just getting it over with sooner instead of putting it off as it builds and builds and builds. It's the worst thing I could possibly do to myself or anyone could do to yourself is just put it off. So if you can do it right away and just get it out of the way, it's usually not as bad as we work it up to be in our brains. Um, and that usually makes me, and then I feel so much better after I've dealt with that. 
Well, the thing is, it's, you're making it so much harder, right? Because if you do it right now versus you do it next week, you've literally got seven days of worrying about it and making it bigger and bigger, right? Versus yes, you just yeah. attack it. 99.9% of the time, you're like, this was not as big a deal as I thought it was going to be. And exactly. that 1% of the time that it is, oh, well, I mean, that's life. We all have that. Yes. I think that's, that's great. Um, uh, wh- what am I trying to say, Alexis? That's, that's, that's a great uh, <laughs> strategy. That's, that's oh, there we go. Strategy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you are clearly passionate about dentistry. You have a dream. It's going to be more than a dream. It's going to happen <laughs> of opening an ADHD friendly practice. What does that look like? Yeah. So I don't really know of any healthcare facilities that are designed for the ADHD brain in mind. If anything, it's maybe pediatric type of ADHD, but I've never seen it done for adults and maybe it has been done, but definitely not done enough. Obviously, there's a large percentage of the population that has ADHD. And and I don't know if it's just the population that comes into dental school or if it's just I tend to notice it more because I have ADHD, but in the patients that have it, I've noticed these trends of things that they really struggle with. And so I want to design a place that is comfortable for them. And kind of what that looks like is the number one thing is that there's a lot of shame and going back to rejection sensitivity dysphoria. So many patients with ADHD avoid going to the dentist because they're afraid of being shamed. And they have a good reason to feel that way because, you know, before I was in dental school, I was a patient. I would see that myself where, you know, the hygienist or the dentist or whoever I think they have good intentions, but the way that they come across is that you're not doing a good enough job and it doesn't make people with ADHD want to come back. So that is like the number one thing. So just not shaming the patients. I try to really create a space that's safe for them where they can open up and be honest with me about what's going on. And I I won't even bat an eye if they tell me it's been 10 years since they've seen a dentist or they haven't flossed and I don't care how long. And it's just, you know, with those type of patients, it's just really doing small little habit changes that work for our brains that maybe aren't something a neurotypical would do, or maybe aren't the neurotypical way to do it, but they work for us. So that's the number one thing I would do. And then also just why does it have to be that when we go to the dentist as an adult, it's no longer fun anymore. I don't know (laughs) if you've ever, when you do a pediatric dentist, but it is so much more fun. And I don't really understand why we can't make it fun when we're adults too. Why does it have to be boring? So that's the other thing and just kind of strategies there to make it a more fun experience. Like how could you do that? So I have quite a few ideas, but just things like TVs, like in the ceiling type of thing where you're also, when you're looking up, you have something fun to look at, like adult take home bags that you can kind of pick (laughs) out prizes at the end, you know, that are adult prizes instead of kid ones. Like Uh it's just, you know, there's things to make it a more fun experience. And then, you know, Everyone hates impressions, like that goopy stuff in your mouth. When I went to the orthodontist and was getting braces done, they had flavored impressions. And I feel like such a small thing, but it makes such a big difference. It makes it so much more pleasant experience to pick the flavor of what's going to go in your mouth. Just things like that. What about hypersensitivities? I know, you know, a lot of us with ADHD have them. Like, explain what you mean by that. Well, okay. So I am thinking... um, just sensitivity to, I, I like just sensory. Having, yes, having people 
Yes. A couple things. Having people's hands in my mouth. And mm-hmm. I, you know what I discovered, which I was shocked that my dad never told me this, but you know, I think my dad told me I have a big mouth. So I just assumed <laughs> I had a big mouth, right? Um, my dentist recently told me, oh, the reason why you struggle with all these impressions and all of this stuff, the gag reflex is because you mm-hmm. have such a small mouth. I'm like, wait, I have a small <laughs> mouth, you know? Um, yes. But that, and then Oh my God, the drill, the sound of the drill. It just, I'm talking about it and it's giving me, you know, hives. And I remember, so normally I bring a headset and Mm -hmm. I'm listening to a podcast or I'm listening to an audiobook. The last time, I can't remember what happened. I think I forgot my AirPod thingies for my ears. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, I was sitting in that chair and it wasn't even so much the drill, although that was part of it, but it was the boredom of having nothing to listen to. Yes. Yeah. And nothing Absolutely. to see. And I, I had to stop myself from just jumping out of the chair because I was so bored. Yes, absolutely. That's we need things for our mind. So my thought with that is to kind of have like a a little menu that you would pick from when you would come in for your appointment. Mm-hmm. So we would provide the things like headphones or if you want to do like a hypnosis type of thing instead yeah. or every everyone's so different, right? It's kind of an individual experience. So you could be able to choose what you'd want to do during your appointment. If you want it to be a silent appointment, you don't want to know anything about what's happening that's fine. But some people with ADHD, they want to know every single thing that's happening and why they want me to explain it in dental terminology. So everyone's completely different. And I think you just have to cater to the individual ADHD experience. Well, I would go to you as a dentist. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) So I'm curious in the information that you sent back to us, you said you talked about how RSD shows up when seeking care. And you were talking about sensory issues, body-focused, repetitive behaviors, and addiction. So the two, we've covered sensory issues. I'm curious mm-hmm. where BFRBs come in. Body-focused, repetitive behaviors come oh, in. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. So with those, it's a lot of patients with ADHD also have TMD, so temporomandibular mm-hmm. disorders, okay. and sleep apnea. Those are the kind of two that play a role in that. And the reason that a lot of us have it, some of us, it's just because we are so stressed out all the time or anxious that we're clenching constantly mm-hmm. all of our muscles, and it makes everything worse, obviously, that way. But also, stimulant medication, it's a very common side effect that it would result in grinding and clenching along with like things like dry mouth. And it, a lot of patients don't aren't aware of those side effects. And I tend to point it out in patients that I see come in, they're off stimulant medication. They're like, I clench and grind all the time and I don't know why. And I say, well, you know, it's possible that it's your medication, but there are things we have to do to address that because it's just going to keep deteriorating whatever you have in your mouth if you don't do something about it. Okay. That makes sense to me. So Alexis, what is it about you and your ADHD that makes you good at dentistry? Like why, you know, you obviously have this passion for it, which kind of cracks me up because it's, you know, it's a really different, interesting passion. And I love the fact that you struggled to do the things that need to be done to be able to practice your passion. Exactly. You overcame, you figured out a way to get past that because you could see the passion down the road and you knew that I don't care how I get there, I've got to get there because that's what I need to do. 
Yes. So what is it that makes you so good at this passion? And what is it about you and your ADHD that allows that? So I think I, when I'm with my patients, I kind of go, I'm not sure if it's a mode of hyper-focus or what it is, but I'm someone that is, I would not describe as calm most of the time in my life. But whenever I'm with a patient, I just feel so zen, so at ease, and I'm able to come across in a way that makes the patient feel very comfortable. And I think I'm able to work with patients that maybe have trouble working with other providers because I provide that kind of like serene place of calmness for them in a place that is nothing like that for them normally. That's like the number one thing I've noticed and I've had my patients tell me is that, you know, we just make me feel so calm, so at ease. And I, I really can't explain where that comes from. It's just something that because I'm passionate about it and I feel like I kind of hyper-focus when I'm with them, that's what I do. That's like the number one thing. Although it sounds like that is not who you are naturally, right? Normally, are you real hyperactive and bouncing off the walls? Yes. For the most part, I would say yes. (laughs) Very interesting. Okay. Anything else? Um, And then I just feel like I'm also just constantly in tune with my patients' needs. So when I'm working in their mouth, you know, I'm, I'm always looking at their facial expression. They might not be comfortable saying they're in pain or they might not want to stop something, but I can see it in their face or in their eyes and just stopping and, you know, really checking in with them. Another thing I do is just like whenever I first meet a patient, I go through a huge list of questions that I've kind of come up with to really get to know them and to find out what is going to make them comfortable going forward. And a lot of patients have never really been asked, like, well, what makes you comfortable in the dental office? Like, what can I do to make you more comfortable? So they have to really think about that. But I think just always approaching every patient kind of like as a puzzle mm. you have to put together. That's how my brain sees it anyway. Everyone's so different and they have different needs and wants and, you know, different come from different backgrounds and just really taking the whole person instead of just, you know, what's going on in their mouth, because that's really what plays a role. And the outcome of their teeth will be long-term. Well, and that problem-solving piece is so incredibly ADHD, as is, um, it sounds like you're very empathetic. Yeah, almost, it's almost to a point where it can be a, a little difficult at times. I've had to learn to separate that when I go home at the end of the day, but I'll, I'll take those emotions home with me otherwise. Ah. So what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? I think just knowing that it's always going to be a work in progress and like things will get better over time as you take the time to learn and understand your ADHD. But you can, I feel like you kind of go through phases where you kind of just like, okay, well, I have this diagnosis. I know what it is now. I feel better knowing what it is. Like, great. But then you have to really learn about yourself. And then... It takes a long time to just kind of like unpack and research all the things that we experience and understand why. And then I feel like you have to be able to to advocate for yourself and explain that information to other people in the right settings. And that is what really helps me the most is just being able to stand up for myself and say, no, no, this is what I need and why I need it. And people are, for the most part, really understanding of that. Ah, so if there's someone listening and let's say they're in a situation that's similar to the situation that you were in. They're really struggling. They're thinking of giving up. 
but they need to get over the hurdle, over the threshold, right? So they can, whatever it is that needs to be done so that they can get to the other side and do what it is that they're really passionate about, what they really want to do. What would you recommend? Um, are we saying that they know they have ADHD as well? Yeah. Well, because that's okay. the only people who, or they think they do, right? Yeah. Okay. Just make sure. Um, so I feel like it's just, yeah, you have to become really comfortable with, with knowing what your needs are. I think that's just like the number one thing because it's not other people's responsibility to know what your needs are, but it is your responsibility to tell them what your needs are. So if you want to succeed. You don't have to disclose that you have ADHD, but you know, you just need to be able to say, you know, like I am entitled to these accommodations if you need them. A lot of people don't take advantage of those. And I just, that's such a shame if you feel like you need, you do not have enough time or you get really distracted by things going on around you. It's really helpful to have a separate room or in more time. So you just don't have to be stressed out about that. That's a huge thing. But also just being able to, you know, when you are struggling, you do have things going on, just being able to say like, I'm struggling because this is how my brain works. And these are the things that set me up to be successful. Is there anything around um, what I'm talking about is more big picture where you're struggling, you want to get over to the other side and really keying into the intention of who you know you are and who you want to become more of? I think I'm talking more about kind of like the AOK sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's where that's, I feel like you just, if you don't know what you want to do, or if you were, or you just, you just want, you feel like you're going to give up. Yeah. You have, I don't know. For me, I just had to, to find other people I could connect with that were kind of going through the same thing. I think that's, that's probably the, the most helpful thing because then you can see other people that have been through something similar and see where they are. And then you have that to like look up to as well. I think kind of just having an example is helpful. So connecting with others that are struggling with the same thing is a huge help for sure. Were you able to find that in your dental school? Um, yes, I, I actually, that's one of the first things I did when I was given the option to repeat the years. I said, can I talk to somebody else who's been through the same thing? Because they were mm-hmm. saying that other people had been through this, and, you know, if yeah. they're comfortable, obviously disclosing it. And that's the first thing I did is I went and talked to somebody else. And that's what ultimately was the initial decision, like, okay, this is the right choice. So what did they say? They told me, and it was the time it was hard to understand, but they told me that it ended up being the best decision they could have made because, you know, they, they were able to deal with the things they were going with, going through in their personal life and then come back and just be able to focus on school. And that was a huge help. And I, I didn't see that at the time initially because I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just want to keep going because I know I always struggle with transitions from, you know, from high school to undergrad, undergrad to yeah, to dental school. It's always so hard for me to transition like that. And I didn't want to leave and come back, but I, it worked out a lot better that way just because of like some of the changes that were made to the curriculum and some other things that ended up being beneficial for me. And then also the pandemic. So when the pandemic hit, I would have missed out on a lot of clinic time if I was in the class above me still. And it was very unfortunate for them, but I'm very grateful for my own clinical experience that I didn't have to miss out on barely any clinic time at all. That's amazing. And I think that what you just said is so important. We get, we have in our brain, this is the way it needs to work. This is why, this is the way it's working for everyone else. So it needs to work this way for us too. 
And we just dig our feet in. And oftentimes the things that, you know, come for us that (laughs) just seem like the biggest challenges, and it's so frustrating. I'm going through something personally right now. If we could just get out of our own way and realize that, okay, that door may have closed, but the reason that door closed is because there's another one that's going to open, but we need to just look for that open door. And when you can focus on that open door, you're always going to find it. And there is a reason for everything. And then things end up becoming even better than had it just gone the way you thought you wanted it to go, right? Exactly. And you also bring a a good point. Like We can't compare ourselves to others' situations when you're saying, well, it works for everybody else. Why doesn't it work for me? I've kind of just learned to accept that I do things differently than other people. And maybe like they need to, you know, write a paper, you know, like a couple of weeks in advance of the rough draft and everything. But I always write a great paper the night before it's due. So it's like, why change that? If it's just and shame myself for it when I could just accept that that's the way that it is and it works for me. So let's just go with it. Yeah. And you won't have to be doing that much longer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So th- thankfully, it's, you know, there's a less and less of the schoolwork as we've gone along. And so that makes it easier as well. I mean, if this was a career kind of decision and you'd been doing this for three decades, I'd be like, mm, I don't know. You know, your nervous system, it- it's going to get shot <laughs> after a while, right? Yeah. It's not sustainable it's forever, for sure. It was pretty hard on my body, but. <laughs> Do you have a number one uh, ADHD workaround? Yes. Actually, it's one that I learned on your podcast, and it's the brain dump. It's my favorite because my brain is constantly filled with so many ideas all the time, and I can't always organize my thoughts. So just being able to sit there, set a timer, and write down as much as I can that's in my brain, and then organize it and figure out, like, well, what am I going to delegate? What am I going to... What's an immediate problem? What's a you know next week problem? And just being able to sort it all out when mm-hmm. I'm feeling really overwhelmed, that's my biggest help for sure. Wonderful. Yeah, that's a great one. We get paralyzed and we're just spinning, Absolutely. right? You don't even yeah. know where to start. So Alexis, where can people find you if they want to know more about you? Yes. So I would love it if, you know, anyone that's listening is in dentistry or you're a patient and you've had experiences you want to share that have been helpful for your ADHD or harmful. I would love to hear about them. So please email me at toothbetoldbyalexis at gmail.com. I also, um, I deleted a lot of my social media when I was in my first couple of years of dental school, just so I wouldn't get distracted by it, but I'm starting those back up again. You can follow me on TikTok at tooth underscore be underscore told. And then also on Instagram at toothbetoldbyalexis. And then also we're looking for an illustrator for our book that we wrote. So if anyone is interested or knows anyone that would be wanting to help us with that, that'd be great. And bonus points if they have ADHD themselves. Ah, okay. So the, you gave me so much there. So just so everybody, you know, if you want to find um, Alexis's contact information, go to our show notes and it'll be right there. And you can go to tracyoutsuka.com forward slash podcast forward slash 202 to get all those links to where we can find Alexis. So Alexis, Thank you so much for spending time with us here today. I'd wish you luck, but you don't need it. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Alexis, please let us know by leaving a review. 
Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.